We kick off a brand new series that I'm calling Reset. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at different aspects of our lives that I believe God is inviting us to reset. Today, we're thinking about what it means at the beginning of the year to reset our dreams. Shout dreams. Dreams. And uh, each week, I, I want to suggest there's going to be a surprising uh, insight, I believe. And we're going to try to give you a practical uh, way to actually execute the reset in your life. Having said that, uh, if you're able to, uh, we invite you to stand prepare for the reading of the Word. Uh, that's how we honor God's Word. And it's going to be here on the screen. It's Exodus chapter 3. I want to pick up where Rabbi Ezra left off at last weekend. And uh, if you have Bibles, either electronic or physical, I encourage you to follow along. It's great to be the highlight in your, in your Bibles. Here it is. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This, well, this is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Everybody shout, pay attention. <laughs> when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Everybody shout, here I am. If you were here last week, you know that the Jewish word for that is hineni. Everybody shout, hineni. Please be seated. <laughs> I want to challenge each of you to make a very important decision right now as you sit in your seats. I want you to decide in this moment that today will be the first day of the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, actually, one say it with me. Say, today is the first day of the rest of my life. Shout, I've decided. I've decided, I've decided, I've decided. So ahead of you is a clear Clean slate. You get the right on that slate. But you also have the advantage of all of the years that you have already lived through. The mistakes you've made, the victories you've experienced, the lessons that you have learned, the ups and the downs. You have all of that now to inform the, how you live the rest of your life life. So the day is your day to start fresh. Everybody shout, reset. Reset. If you think about starting fresh for the rest of our lives, this phrase comes to mind. Begin with the end in mind. Say it with me. Begin with the end in mind. You may be familiar with 
Stephen Covey, who wrote that very popular book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And this was the second habit. He says, to begin with the end in mind, begin with a notion of where you want to end up at. Well, before he wrote that book, several thousand years in advance, God introduced the same insight to Moses. It's right here in verse 12. We read a few moments ago. It's right here in the verse. Listen, God has said to Moses in the previous verses, I'm calling you and I'm going to send you to Egypt and through you, I'm going to deliver the nation of Israel from slavery. And by the way, Moses, I know that's been your dream for years. You're going to get to be a part of living that out. Moses then says, well, who am I to stand before Pharaoh? And God answers, I'll be with you. This is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, when they've been delivered from slavery, you will worship God at this very mountain. Everybody shout, at this very mountain. What God is saying to Moses is, you're standing at where you're going to end up at. You're looking at the, the destination of where you're going to end up at. So you're going to start here with the end in mind. When you get back to this very place, I will have fulfilled the greatest dream of your life and demonstrated my power. When you get back here, the people will be free. Say it again. Begin with the end in mind. So let me back into that insight. Exodus chapter 1 covers over 500 years of the Jewish people's history. It starts with the death of Joseph and his brothers. It, it moves towards the enslavement of the Jewish people. It talks about a pharaoh who tries to control the Jewish population by commanding that every male child be put to death at birth. 500 years. It has, at the end of it, the prayers of the people asking God for help that seemingly they're going unanswered. Chapter 2 covers about 80 years of Moses' life. Let me make this point. I believe that when most of us think about Moses, when he appears before the burning bush, we make some assumptions about his faith and where he is with God that is not necessarily biblically true. Let me just point it out as we walk through the text. First of all, the first couple of verses tell us that Moses' family came from the tribe of Levite, the Leviticus, the, the, the Levite tribe. That was the priestly tribe in the nation of Israel. So his family was deeply religious, totally dedicated to the God of the Hebrews. But in verse, uh, by the time we get to the end of the first three verses, we learn that they recognize there's something special about Moses. They don't destroy him. They hide him for three months, probably because his cry became too loud to cover up. They put him in a basket, a waterproof basket, and his sister watches him as he floats into the hands of what would be Pharaoh's daughter. 
Now get this. The daughter of the man who has declared that all Hebrew babies be killed ends up with a Hebrew baby. Tell somebody you can't outdo God. Verse 6 tells us that she, she immediately feels sorry for the boy and she recognizes that he is a Hebrew boy. And she ends up asking one of the Jewish women to nurse him for her. Turns out that's Moses' mother. Shout, you can't outdo God. After the nursing season is over, verse 10 tells us that the babe, the, this young uh, baby is now returned to the daughter of Pharaoh and it suggests he comes back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son. Now let me just point out if you've been around for the last two or three weeks you know that I've been talking about how the, the theme of adoption is worked into the life of Jesus, worked into the redemptive story of all Christians and here again we find it show up right here again Moses is Adopted. Now, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it now. Go back and hear the last couple of messages. Tell the person, go hear, tell somebody, go hear the last couple of messages. <laughs> Pick up on the adoption seat. But she adopts him. Now, what does this mean when it says she adopts him? Well, here's the deal. Moses is now the grandson of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the ruler of Egypt, one of the most powerful and sophisticated nations in the world right there on this African continent. And Moses is in line to become ultimately Pharaoh. So he's being prepared for it. What does that mean? He gets the best education in the world. He learns art. He learns math, mathematics and science. He learns, uh, he learns how to govern. He learns about law. He, he, he speaks multiple languages. He learns the art of military leadership. All the things that he would need to know to be Pharaoh. Shortly said, Moses ends up being educated and sophisticated. Shout it. Say educated. Say sophisticated. In addition to that, he's wealthy, he's powerful, and if you'd ask him about his faith, well, he was born into a Hebrew family, but he grew up Egypt. He grew up Egyptian. So most likely he did not subscribe to the gods of the Hebrew, God of the Hebrew. And the Egyptians were polytheistic. They had multiple gods. Even Pharaoh was seen to have a sense of divinity. So probably if you ask Moses, he would have said, I don't subscribe to any particular religion. But I am spiritual. Well, if you look at the Moses profile, shout Moses profile. You might be surprised. You might see somebody that you recognize. Check it out. He would fit right here in Silicon Valley. Sophisticated, well-educated, highly cultured. Come on. No religious particular commitment, but highly spiritual. Tell the person next to you, he could be talking about me, but I think... That could fit my profile. It certainly is the profile of many of here in Silicon Valley. So why, why am I making such a big deal out of this? It's because if God can take Moses and do what he did in Moses' life with that profile, he can do the same thing in your life. 
and in my life and in our life. Everybody shout, God can do it. God can do it. God can do it. So that opens us up with grand expectation in terms of what do we want? What can God do? The second point that comes to mind uh, comes in verse 11. Verse 11 reminds us that while he was raised Egyptian, he always knew he was a Hebrew. Look at what it says. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit, look, everybody shout, his own people. His own people, the Hebrews. All right, I think this suggests something about his interior world. You know, your internal world where your desires are shaped, where your dreams are shaped. And I think his interior world was shaped by the complexities of his external world. Here's what I mean. He was on a dream track. He was the grandson of Pharaoh. It just made sense that he would move forward and be powerful and wealthy and it just made sense that the track that he was on he most likely would become a military leader and would reach high fame and acclaim it just made sense the track that he was on the grandson of pharaoh uh, if he played his cards right he just might become pharaoh but if he became pharaoh interestingly enough he would be the ruler over his own oppressed people. But I believe there is evidence that God was whispering another dream at the same time emerging within him. And, 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 and we said, we catch a clue of it right here. It says he visited his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced. Everybody shout force. Forced to work. In that word force is contained all of the enslavement, the oppression, uh, the brutality of the, of the condition that they were in. And I think that word force reminds us that, that Moses sensed a whispering in his heart, a whispering that somehow began to, to cause him to, to long for, for justice on behalf of his people, to want to see his oppressed people go free, to want to see the people that, that, that was his people move from pain to their own sense of freedom and prosperity. And so this is a quiet dream. Everybody shout, a God dream. A God dream, a God dream. Now, he didn't know it, but, but look, if you go to Isaiah chapter 61, we're reminded about what uh, one form that a God dream looks like. Look, the prophet says, the Holy Spirit has come upon me and he has anointed. Everybody shout, empower. He has empowered me to bring good news to the poor sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim the, that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. That, 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 that one of the signs that God is at work in the world, come on now, is that, that, is, is that there's a desire to elevate and bless the marginalized, to help the poor, to do something about those who are in trouble. Wherever that's at work, that's a God dream at work. We see it in Jesus' life, don't we? Because in Luke chapter 4, when he gets ready, Jesus gets ready to pick, take the mantle of his ministry. He goes into the synagogue. Here's what the text says. The, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place. Shout, found the place. 
That means he actually looked through the scroll to find Isaiah 61, that, that, that chapter that we just, and he started to read what was written there. And here's what he read. And it's an announcement for Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That the blind will see. And that the oppressed, the spiritual oppressed, the political oppressed, the economic oppressed. That the oppressed shall oppress. That the oppressed will be set free. Shout free. That's a God dream. It's a God dream. This God dream began to develop and evolve I believe in Moses' heart very clearly here's Moses' problem whichever dream he pursued because he did not have a knowledge of nor a relationship with God the dream was disconnected from an eternal purpose shout eternal purpose in other words, it's possible for you to have a God-given dream and pursue a God-given dream with your life and yet not know the God who gave you the dream. In chapter 3 of Exodus, you hear it. I'm paraphrasing it. Moses says to God, ultimately, what shall I tell the folk your name is? Because I don't even know who you are. Here's another way of saying it. It's not just important to have a dream, but you have to have what I call a God-orientated why. A God-oriented why. The dream is the what, but the inspiration for the dream comes from the why. It's possible to pursue the right dream for the wrong why. If you're pursuing a dream just because it's easy, that could be the wrong why. If you're pursuing a dream, education, a career, because you think it's going to make you wealthy or powerful or famous, and if that's all that's in your reasoning, I suggest that's the wrong why. God suggests that we ought to pursue dreams, come on now, out of a deep desire to serve the living God, to be an instrument for God in the world. You ought to have a God-oriented why behind your dreams. Well, here's the importance of a why. Shout why. Because dreams take time. And anybody pursuing a real dream, you're going to have some good days and you're going to have some bad days. But in your bad days, if your why is right, you're able to push through. Anybody pursuing a dream, you're going to end up in the valley every now and then. But if you know the right why, you'll be able to move through the valley to be back up on the mountaintop. Anybody pursuing a dream will fall on your face from time to time. But if you got the right why behind your dream pursuit, you'll keep getting up again and again and again. But you need the right God-oriented why to hang in there pursuing a God dream. So here's your question as we talk about resetting your dream. Do you have a dream that you're pursuing, but is it disconnected from a God purpose? 
If it's disconnected from a God purpose, this is your time. Shout reset. This is your time to reset, to begin to figure out what's the connection between the dream you desire, come on now, and the God that's calling you to live in the world. What's the connection? Reset. There's another insight that jumps out here. And I, I want to be sure to call it out. Watch what the text does in verse 11. I like the way this is written with intentionality. It says, so he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating. Everybody shout beating. That's brutalizing. One of his fellow Hebrews. Now watch this. Next verse. After looking in all directions. You know what that means? That means premeditated. Come on. After looking in all directions. You know what that means? That means Moses knew what he was going to do. Come on now. After looking in all directions to make sure that no one was watching. Moses. Come on now. Who, 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 who got angry because of the injustice he saw ends up killing an Egyptian and hiding the body in the sand. Tell somebody Moses had options. No, no, he had options. He had options. Listen, Moses is the grandson of the Pharaoh. When Moses walked in the room, People stood at attention. Come on, Moses could have, could have commanded the, the Egyptian to be disciplined. He could have removed him from his post. He, he, had a, he had a variety of options that he could have executed on behalf of, 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 the, of the Hebrew that was being brutalized. He could have either utilized, he could have easily utilized that as a reason to begin to make a case for the right treatment of his people. Shout options. Can't you hear as you read this text, Paul say, be angry, but sin not. Be angry, be angry. Paul is saying, Paul is saying, if you read that text out, he says, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. What he's saying is, is it's okay to be angry there. There are some things that ought to make you angry. If, if you're watching somebody getting beaten and brutalized, that ought to make you angry. When you think about in a, in, a, in a culture of wealth like Silicon Valley has, the tens of thousands of people who are homeless, that, that might make you angry. That's all right to be made angry about that. If you think about the inequity in the school system based on what community a particular school is in, that ought to make you angry. If you have a friend who's in the midst of domestic violence and you can't rescue her, and in some cases a him, uh, that ought to make you angry. There are some things that ought to make you Anger. If you see somebody wasting their lives on drugs and alcohol, that ought to make you angry. Shout angry. angry. But the anger should be something that you use to move towards a righteous resolution. In other words, you should use the anger and not allow the anger to use you. Because here's what's true. An unrighteous act will undermine a righteous cause. Say it with me. An unrighteous act will undermine a righteous cause. It was a righteous cause to be upset about what was going on. As a matter of fact, 
what I call righteous indignation can create righteous dreams that can lead to righteous transformation. He, he, was, he was right to be angry about it. But, 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 but what he decided to do, remember, decades later, Moses is going to come off of the, the, the Sinai mountain with Ten Commandments, and one of them he will declare, God told me to tell you, thou shalt not murder. And yet here he is, come on now, undermining his own character uh, uh, by stepping outside of God's will. Well, let me give you a practical example. I'm going to go to politics to, to pull this practical example out. How you better be careful how you let anger mess with you. They can throw you off course. Come on now. The, uh, our current president has developed a reputation for when he gets hurt or attacked. He responds by calling people names, uh, dogs and uh, horse face and low IQ. Let me just go on record and just say that I think that's wrong. I actually think it's shameful. And yet, a few days ago, we had a congresswoman who just got elected, stood in an audience just like this. And because she was so mad, angry with the president, she would dare call him an MF in the midst of an applauding audience. Come on now. You, you, you know what? I think that's wrong and shameful. Here's the lesson that we learn from watching the congresswoman. Be careful how you let anger consume you. Because if you're not careful, anger will consume you and then turn you into the very thing you're angry about. Be careful. Be careful. How you discipline your kids. Cursing them out. Come on now. You might be rightfully disciplining them, but you're long-term wounding them. Be careful. Allowing anger to control you. Because anger controlled Moses, he got knocked off course. Ends up, Pharaoh, of course, hears about it, puts out a warrant. Wants him arrested and killed. Moses flees, runs east through the desert, and he ends up in a place called Midian. Everybody shout Midian. Midian there. He, he lives for 40 years, and when chapter 3 opens up, he's been there for 40 years. He's settled into Midland. He's a shepherd now. He's married to Jethro's daughter. He's got Two kids here, this would-be grandson of the Pharaoh is now a shepherd and, and, and he's 40 years past the dream opportunity that he missed. He's 40 years with the possibility in his rearview mirror. He's 40 years, you know, you know that's Midian. Everybody shout Midian. Midian is the place that you end up at when you've been knocked off course. Some of y'all here starting 2019 because of your own action and the actions of others, you've been knocked off course. Not just for a few months, but some of you, you've been knocked off course for several years and you would dare to give up on the dream that God has for you. Midian is the place for folk who's knocked off course. You know Midian. Midian is the place where you go when your, when, when your naivete has slipped from your life. And you no longer have idealism to hold intention with your realism that, 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 that you no longer believe 
in trying to help the world to become the world that it should be. You've surrendered to the world as it is. Uh, you, you understand, Midian. Midian is the place that you end up in when you've said, you know, my spouse for years have been unloving and uncaring. I've just given up on trying to make this marriage work. I'm just going to be unloving and uncaring in this marriage. Midian is the place that you go when the child has become wayward and has been gone for so long and has gone so far. You don't even pray for that child anymore. Midian is the place that you end up when you're environment at work is toxic and you've decided to stop working against it and just become another toxic person at work come on now Midian is the place you end up at when you define yourself doing life with no dreams no dreams doing life with no because life has cut you so you're afraid to dream because life's been so unfair to you. You've given up on dreaming. Because you've made so many mistakes, you've concluded you don't deserve to dream. I want to announce to you, you're in Midian. But if you're in Midian, you're in a good place. You, 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 you're right for Moses' miracle because it was in Midian, y'all. The man was 80 years old. I, I believe God has a dream for all of us at every stage and every age of our lives. He was 80 years old. Come on now. If you had asked him, do you think your people can be free? He would probably say, it's possible, but not probable. Come on now. If you had asked him, do you think you'll be part of the, of the solution? He would say, well, those days have passed. But the text says there was a bush in Midian, y'all ain't listening, that started to burn, but it wouldn't burn up and it caught his attention. Do you know that God is the only entity in the universe who can set himself on fire and not burn up? Come on now. That God is the only entity in creation who can set himself on fire and, and the blaze gets brighter. And if you get close enough, come on now. He won't burn up, but he'll catch you on fire with the dream that he has for your life. That's the God that Moses ran into. find him calling Moses name Moses Moses I, I hope this gathering is a is a burning bush experience for some of you I, I, I hope that as you listen to me some of you can hear God calling your name Mary Maria Anton John come on Marcus Sarah, I'm going to keep calling until I get your name. Come Serena, come on now. I hope, I hope you're here. Because the proper response when you hear God calling your name, he's saying, I want to reset. I want to reset your dreams. And the proper response is, is to say what Moses says when he, when he says, I'm here. The Jewish word is, hineni. Come on, everybody shout, hineni. He nay nee, I'm here, I'm here. All right, now let me, let me wrap this up. Let me wrap this up. What happens when you're here? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Everybody say, 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 begin with the end in mind. All right, all right, all right. Turn the pages. Go several millenniums forward. You're going to find Matthew writing about Jesus. Matthew shares the story about Jesus is coming to the, 
about to go through his crucifixion and resurrection. He's, he's getting ready to transition his dream of a new kingdom and a new world to Peter, James, and John who will lead this new community called the church. And so Matthew records, he says, he says that Jesus, after six days, took Peter and his two brothers, James and John, led them up on a, on a high mountain, shout high mountain. The last place we saw Moses was on a high mountain. Now we're looking at Jesus. He, he takes these three up on a high mountain. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun. You know what's going on here? We, we use the word transfiguration. That's a big theological word. What it means is that, that Jesus says, I'm about to transfer uh, 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 my dream pursuit to you. And, 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 and you're going to really need to know the why behind your pursuit so you can, you can keep going even though they're going to threaten you. They're going to kill you. They're going to dog you out. And so let me, let, me re, let me remind you who I am. I'm not just fully human. I'm fully God. And he unmasked himself. Come on now. And the glory and the light of God's glory glory come on now shoots out and 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 the light covers the whole mountain and in the midst of that glorious experience come on we there are some surprise guests that show up look in the text it says Moses come on now shows up in front of Jesus and Elijah shows up in front of Jesus and the text says and they are talking with Jesus Oh my goodness, I, I, I don't know. That, 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 that gets me excited because I'm, I'm asking some questions about the text. Moses, I thought he was dead for centuries. Come on now. Uh, what is he doing talking to you, Jesus? Uh, 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 Moses, isn't he Jewish? Uh, uh, what is he doing talking to you, Jesus? And, 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 and the text uh, gives us two theological insights that's really exciting to grab hold to. Listen, here is the first one. If Jesus is not God, then all this stuff is a waste. Just go on home, don't come to church no more. Just live your life however you want to live it, no worries. But if Jesus is God, and he is, y'all, and if he showed up here for 30 plus years, and he did, and, and, and if he died on the cross for the redemption of humanity, and he did, and, and if he's the only one in all of the universe who's after he died, got up, conquered death, and if he lives today, then, then what the reality says is that whatever your philosophy, whatever your religious perspective, uh, uh, your spiritual disposition, that at the end of the day, watch it, all human history will end up at the feet of Jesus. That's what it says. Come on, now you can't get around him. You're going to end up right at Jesus' feet. And you need to ask yourself the question, since you want to begin with the end in mind, when I stand before Jesus, what do I want that conversation to be? Wow. Because we will. Will the conversation be, depart from me, ye worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Or will the conversation be, mm, well done thy good and faithful servant. I, I entrusted you with a, with a dream and you were not perfect. You had some good days, you had some bad days, but, but you stayed faithful to me. And, 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 and now here you are at my feet. I'm ready to give you a high five. Well done. I don't know about you, that's what I want to hear. Come on now. That's the conversation I want to have with Jesus.
the dream of my family, the, the dream of career, the, the dream. Here's another way to say it. Watch it. We ought to live our lives with the expectation we're going to end up with in front of Jesus. And, and, and the priorities of our, of our lives, we have to ask the question, when we get before Jesus, will our priorities have been his priorities? Well, our dreams have been his dream. Begin with the end. The second insight that comes to hasten to a conclusion is the text suggests that since I'm going to end up in front of him and since he died to deliver me from all my stuff, he must love me. And so if I'm going to end up in front of him and since I know he loves me, he loves me better than my, my, my mama, I like B.B. King. B.B. King says one day in his, in his blues, he said, nobody, nobody loves me but my mama, and she could be jiving me too. <laughs> and, 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 and that's how we... That's how we feel sometimes, but we know he loves us because we got the cross as the evidence that he loves us. Come on now. We know he believes in us because we, we got resurrection power as the evidence. And, 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 and so since I'm going to end up there, why don't I make him Lord? And why don't I make his, his, his lordship the purpose behind everything I do? All right, here's the point I'm trying to make. We falsely create dichotomies in culture. Shout dichotomies. We think spiritual work is relegated to hearing a message in church, and that is spiritual work. Praying, that's spiritual work. Singing in the praise team, that's spiritual work. Visiting the choir of sick people in Jesus' name, yes, that's spiritual. Studying the Bible, oh yes, that is spiritual work. But then when we go to our secular job, we call that secular work. But here's the insight. Since we're going to end up before Jesus, why don't we make him Lord? And if we make him Lord, what that means is we should rededicate and make him the first reason for everything we do. If he becomes the first reason for everything that we do, come on now. Come on, that, that, then your secular job becomes spiritual work. Now, if you are a doctor or a nurse or a lab tech or an orderly, orderly, but you go to work saying that I'm going to represent the love of Jesus as I care for people, that's spiritual work. If you are a lawyer, come on now, a law clerk, and, and, but you go to work, say that I'm going to represent the heart and the kingdom of Jesus then that's spiritual work. If you are a judge or an engineer or a janitor keeping uh, buildings that produce multi-million dollar products clean, but you go to work saying, I'm representing the power and the love of Jesus to impact the world, that's spiritual work. All you need to do is rededicate the totality of your life to serving Jesus first and everything falls from that is spiritual work shout spiritual work spiritual work spiritual work here's how second peter ends at 3 15 instead you must worship christ when he's the first cause for all you do it's you're serving and worshiping. You're ending up on the mountain where you started. Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope, because believers always have hope. 
as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So when they say, why are you such a great engineer? Why, why are you such a great orderly? Why, why, are you, why do you work cleaning tables with such passion? What's behind the way you lead your company? You should be able to give them the answer. Because I do what I do as a representative of Jesus in the world. I, I represent his love. I represent his power. I'm, I'm trying to help him be a part of the world that he wants to create. I'm living out God's dream in my life. That's the explanation that follows your spiritual work. Give God a hand praise and say amen.